Today we're going to do something a little differently. I've got a few things I want to share with you, but we're going to take communion together. And uh, involved in, in this process this morning, we're going to take some time to pray together as well. Before we do that, I want to share with you a little bit about what is the central message of the body that we are trying to get out into the world around us. Now, you probably already know what that central message is. However, I want to share it with you in a way that's just a little different, and I want you to see through Scripture what it looks like for us to be a church in the world. Because we are not called to be a place where people just come to and we kind of retreat from the world and we have our time of worship and then we go back out into the world. Instead, all of who we are as the body is meant to make a difference in the world around us. And if we read through Scripture, if we read through um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I want to begin there because this is what the, the traditional passage that we use for communion, it introduces what our central message is. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord what I also b- delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now what I'd like for us to see today is that there is one central message for the body. There is one central message of all that we do. We have here 51 worship services a year, sometimes a few more, but usually we have 51 worship services a year. And that message may range anywhere from you know, living life with Christ or family issues or financial issues. There are a number of things that we'll talk about throughout the year, but what undergirds it all is one central message and what drives us to be a church that is not just trying to care for ourselves but care for others is this reality, that the world is a place of death and sorrow from which we have no hope. Now, aren't you glad you got up and came this morning? (laughs) Aren't you excited about that message? This is what we know about the world around us. It is a place of death and sorrow, and for the most part, the world has no hope. Now, I, I asked you guys to be praying for my parents, and some of you know my mom and my dad. They have had a very rough few weeks. About three weeks ago, my dad's best friend and the husband of my mom's best friend passed away. And then this week, my mother's brother passed away. Now, we knew that my dad's best friend was a believer. He's a strong believer. He was quirky, and he was so much fun to be around. But we knew he was a believer. And when he died, it was sad, and it was difficult. But when he died, we knew he was going to be with Christ and that we would see him again. Now, my uncle, who I love dearly, has been active as much as he can living in California. I don't know why you want to live in California. It's too far away. But if you want to live in California, okay. But living in California, we didn't get to see him very often. As much as he could, he was active within our family's life. When we started the church, he began helping our kids with the college fund. It was really just very incredible gift that he gave them. But we were very uncertain about his faith. In fact, it wasn't until my mom went out to visit him just a couple of weeks ago that she had a chance to sit down and talk to him about his faith. He was not a man who attended church. He was not a man who talked about spiritual things. And when he was given the news that in six weeks you're not going to be on the face of the earth, we really weren't certain where his future was going to lie. One of the most wonderful gifts that she had was the ability to sit down with him and share the plan of salvation. And on his bed, shared that he wanted to receive Christ as his Savior. Now that, for him, was a moment of hope. And for my mother, a moment of hope as well. But what we know is that if a person does not know Christ, there literally is no hope of getting out of this world alive, right? There's really no hope of that. And so our message at the very beginning 
is not that there are not good things in this world because God has created this world for all to enjoy, even those who don't accept him. There are good things. If you go out and you're an outdoor person and you get to go float down the river, you get to experience the beauty of God's creation. I mean, there are good things in this world. There are moments that we can have fun and be happy and we can sit with someone we love and we can experience a wonderful moment. But yet at the end of the day, we know that the time is coming that we will stand before the Creator and we will have to give an account of our lives. Either we will say, I know Christ, or we will say we do not. And in that moment is the dividing line for all of the rest of eternity. And so what drives us as a body must not be that we enjoy just the moments that we ourselves are together because that's going to be a reality for eternity. If some of you don't like each other, it's tough. You're going to be with them forever. Isn't that good news? But for a world that doesn't know Christ, there really isn't any hope. The world is a place of death and a place of sorrow from which we have no hope. There are those that are struggling with depression today. There are those who are struggling with great debilitating physical diseases today. There are those that are in war-torn parts of the world that while we see it on the news, they see it in their backyards. There are people that are struggling today wanting to end their lives. A, a young man this week in Chattanooga had to be talked down off of Eastgate Town Center this week because he wanted to jump. Suicide is growing around us, and people are giving up because they recognize this world can be a very harsh and difficult place. But the good news is, the good news is, even in that reality that the world is a difficult place, there is a rescuer. There is a rescuer who gave everything to rescue us. And while that is at its crucial element, what our message is, I want us to look through a few other places in Scripture that try to undergird or show us that this world you and I live in, what we see with our eyes, what we feel and touch with our hands, is minuscule compared to the greater reality that is God. If we go back to the book of Revelation, one of the last times that we get a new word in our Scripture John is having a vision. He's experiencing much of what heaven is going to be or much of what is going to come. But he has this incredible flashback of what was once before, even before we were created. And Revelation 12, verse 7, this is how it describes what happened in heaven even before Adam and Eve were created. It says, now war arose in heaven. Now, when I say the word war, what images come up? Just throw some out. What images come up when you hear the word war? Battleground. Swords. Fighting. Tears. Death. Blood. Yes, yeah, sorrow. Anxiety. Destruction. Pitting people together that used to maybe once love each other. And they're forced to choose sides. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and the angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. See, the reason that you and I live in a world full of despair, death, and gloom is what we have just read. Woe to you, O earth and sea. That's us. Woe to you, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time 
is short. In this reality, if we are to believe that Scripture is true, then we believe that this vision that John the Apostle had was true. And there was a great war that led to Satan being thrown down. The world is a deadly place. It's full of war because of this. And what we know is that there are victors and there are casualties. See, when we come down to what does the gospel mean, it's very easy for us to begin to think that the gospel is about us coming together and having worship. It's about us coming together and having dinner together and blow up stuff out in the parking lot. It's about saying, if you want to know Jesus, you can do that with us. But if we are to pull back the curtain on what's really happening in the world, the reason that the gospel has to be central to the body is because the world is a place full of death if they don't know Christ. And this all began in heaven when an angel said, I want to be as good as God. It's an incredible story, and it opens up our understanding of what happened in the garden. If you question if the world is a deadly place, the only way that you can do that is if you live in seclusion. If you don't watch what's happening in the news, in Syria alone, it's amazing. In in Syria alone, half a million people have died. Over 10% of the entire population of Syria since 2011 has either been killed or wounded in war. Scripture tells us that as Satan's influence continues to grow in the world, that there will be wars and there will be rumors of war. Did you know that in 2014, there are registered 162 nations in the world and 152 of them were at war? In 2014, 10 nations of the world we're at peace. This is the influence that the enemy has in our world. This is, not the, this is not the influence of God. This is not the influence of Christ. This is not the influence of the church. This is what the enemy wants to happen to bring strife and division among people so they will not see where hope is. And so this is why I say the world is a deadly place. And while we protect our family and we take our kids to school and we take them to the places, you know, to play baseball or volleyball or football or whatever, we know that the world that they're living in, that they're growing up in, is a dangerous place. Now, we can't protect ourselves from that forever. Even in Chattanooga, we, you know, we don't have the best track record in Chattanooga for violence, do we? It happens all around us. See, war is destructive. And it is rooted in one place. War is rooted in humanity's drive for personal glory. That is where war comes from. It is the desire to control. It is the desire to rule over. It is the desire to lead and to be the one that everyone looks up to. It is the desire to say, I am worthy to be God, just like Satan did when there was war in heaven. And it leads us into conflict because here's the crazy thing. Two people can't be preeminent. One can be preeminent. And when someone else also wants to be preeminent, they have conflict. All war is rooted in the desire for personal glory. That is what the world is struggling with. And interestingly enough, that is the root of sin. If we drop down to Genesis chapter 3, we'll go from the last book in your New Testament to the first book in the Old Testament. In chapter 3, verse 1, read again the story of the fall of man. It says, now the serpent, this is remember, he was cast down to the earth, Satan, after this war in heaven, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. 
But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That is my greatest struggle in life. And that is your greatest struggle in life. To want to be like God. I don't mean that I want to be omniscient, even though sometimes I think I'm right even when I'm not. It doesn't mean I want to be omnipresent. I don't want to be everywhere. Sometimes I want to be by myself. It doesn't mean that I think that I'm going to be able to create a world. But you see, we want to be like God when we want to dictate the terms of our lives. When we want to be able to say, this is how my life will go. This is what my priorities will be. This is how I'm going to spend my time. That is us saying, God, I got this. Let me handle this. You see, in all of this, the root of sin is to be independent and to be equal with the one true God. Every sin that you might deal with, every temptation that you might deal with, will eventually lead back to this root desire. I do not want to submit. I do not want to listen. I want to be left alone to do what I want to do. Now, sometimes it becomes so evident whenever we're, God says, okay, you got it. And it's left to me, and I can fully follow through with what I want to do. And sometimes it comes out very obvious that was a big failure. Oftentimes, it's a little failure that we can chalk up to, well, I'll figure out a better way next time. But we don't see it as a huge failure before God. But many times, there are events or circumstances or decisions that we make that we find out, I am really, I have really tried to take control from God. Our desire for self-glorification, it's killing us. Our desire for self-glorification is killing the church. Our desire for self-glorification is seeking people to want to be in control of the world and therefore leading to war. Our desire for self-glorification is what causes people to reject Christ because when we accept Christ, we take glory and we give it to Him and we don't try to keep it for ourselves. But it is that desire to be like God that Adam and Eve struggled with, that Satan struggled with, that we still struggle with today that leads us to not know him. It's the quest for self-glorification that we refuse to submit our entire lives to Christ or we just give him a piece. And we say, this uh, rest of this is for me because I want some glory too. And ultimately, what you and I want when we seek self-glorification is we want to be, and stay with me, we want to be the author's Of our own joy. I am happy because of my own efforts. I have made myself into this place. I'm a self made man, I'm a self made woman, and I have joy, and I'm in control of that joy. See, the reason we want to be in control of joy is because then we can determine how long we have it, how we use it, and we can ensure that we don't lose it. When we put our joy in the hands of someone else, then all of a sudden we're not in control. We're not able to determine how long we get to hold on to it. And it's possible that joy can be withheld from us. And so we don't want to submit. But ultimately, the message of Christ giving his life for us was one that said, your all-satisfying joy in your life will be found solely in Christ. And we submit before him in order to receive that. It's an incredible message that we struggle with. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. See, people want power because they believe that will make them feel better. People want the control because they believe that will give them happiness. People consume more and more stuff because they believe that is a path to true joy. And people often lose the things that they try to consume. And then they question where their joy is. Now, it's incredible 
in those times, we don't usually say, well, maybe I need to go to God. What we say is, well, I just need to try harder. I just need to find the right stuff. I found early on as a kid, I would get fascinated with stuff. I would need something. I don't know if you all ever struggle with that, but I would just need something. When I was a kid, it would be whatever toy was in the aisle whenever we were leaving, and mom and dad would not get it for me. If I just had that, my whole life would be revolutionized, and I would have been happy. As I got older, and I, be, I turned 16, my best friend at the time got a brand new sports car when he turned 16. I knew I was going to get a brand new sports car when I turned 16, and it didn't happen. But if I had had that car, then that would have made me happy. As we get older, those things continue to grow. And I found that as I began to work and began to you know, earn some money, I could go out and buy some of these things that I wanted. And I thought, this will make me happy. And no sooner do you bring it home than it loses its shine. And all of a sudden, there's something else out there that will make me happy instead. It's a terrible trap we find ourselves in, and it's the reason that so many of us go into such great debt is because I just think my happiness will be found in the next thing. And what we were meant to have in Christ is an all-sufficient joy through Him that was not in need of all these other things. For Adam and Eve, and then the rest of us, the consequence of seeking personal glorification was toil, pain, and separation from the joy of God. If you go back and you read what happens when God walks through the garden and he talks to them and he says, these are the consequences for your actions. He casts them out of the garden. He said, you're going to have to work hard now and you're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow and having children is going to be so much more difficult and your relationship with each other, you're going to struggle. Life's going to be so much harder now the consequences of trying to have self-glorification rather than remaining in a relationship with God. They experience that. You and I still deal with the consequences of that today. Maybe we don't go out by the sweat of our brow trying to make sure that we have food on the table, but yet we work an enormous number of hours at work, never seeming to be able to get ahead. We still deal with those same consequences. I want to ask you this today, this morning, are you seeking all satisfying joy in yourself or in Jesus Christ. Now, my guess is for some, if not all, there are moments, just like with me, there are moments that I truly trust in Christ for my all-satisfying joy. There are moments that I am just enthralled with His presence and I worship Him. And then there are moments that I'm not that I fall back into what I want for myself and what I feel I need for me. See, this is the battle that we fight for all of eternity. Until Christ comes back, until we leave this place, this is the battle we will fight. Until we are with him in heaven and all of this is done away with, this is what you and I are going to struggle with. Here's what I want to do. There are two primary prayers as we take communion. One begins, and it always is, a prayer of repentance. In a prayer of repentance, it is not that we go back and say, God, there is nothing in me that is good. If you have asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, the Holy Spirit lives within you. That is good. It is not that we have to fall prostrate and say, please save me. Because if you've come to that relationship with him, you have been saved. He is your rescuer. But along the way, you and I are still going to struggle with trying to take control, pushing God out, and saying what you have promised and what you have said is not really good enough for me. And when we do that, we create a block before God. We create a barrier in which we begin to wonder, where did God go? Why is he not speaking to me? So there are two moments of prayer I want us to do this morning. And the first one I want us to do right now, and it is a prayer of repentance. It is a time for you right where you are, for you just to have an honest time with God. Now, we take communion together because as a community, we recognize that we are only a community because of Christ. But communion is a very personal moment between you and God. If there is something within your life that you know is creating a barrier between you and God, this is the time to confess. If there's something within your life that is pushing you to say, God, I know what your will is, but that's not my will right now. This is a moment 
to repent. And so let's just take a few minutes together, and I don't know what that is for you, but I know there's not a one of us that can stand before God without a moment of repentance. And so it's very easy this morning for you to kind of be in a box and listen to the sermon and then later come up and take the bread and the juice. But I would encourage you not to let that happen this morning. Don't be in the box in which it's all happening, but you feel completely disconnected from God. Just take these moments, just a couple of minutes to pray quietly. If you'd like to come up front and pray, you can do that. But let's prostrate ourselves before God and ask Him to forgive us for us trying to take the glory from Him. Would you pray with me? Just for a few minutes quietly here together. Thank you. All of this that I've shared with you, while it seems very depressing, is the world in which we live. And if we're honest, we feel it. And the world around us feels it. People who don't know Christ feel it even to a degree beyond what we do. Because we can lull ourselves into a false sense of security that I'm okay, one day I'm going to die and go to heaven. Yet the rest of the world doesn't have that. This darkness that's in the world is what Scripture talks about over and over and over again. That our role as the body is to be a light to shine into this darkness. And unfortunately, this darkness, it doesn't have to affect us the way that it does. Repentance is that thing in which God has given us to dispel it, to submit before Him and to experience the fullness of His Spirit within us. In the midst of all of the darkness within the world, and it is easy, if you are a news junkie like me, it is easy to be sucked in to the darkness and find yourself day in and day out becoming more and more depressed about what you see. 
That is not the way of a follower of Jesus. The way of a follower of Jesus, again, is finding that all-sufficient joy in Christ. And so in spite of all of this that we have experienced, in spite of all of this that the world struggles with, in a war that you and I could not win, Jesus was the only answer, the only rescuer, and the only Savior. Now, guys in the room don't like this because we don't like someone else to rescue us. We want to be the rescuer. Someone talks about our spouse, they better look out. I may be a pastor, but you mess with my wife and I may lose my job. You know, that's how guys are. Our egos at times are built into what we believe is our ability to protect and to rescue ourselves. In fact, there is a great honor and there's a great role in a relationship between a husband and a wife for a husband to constantly be coming to the rescue of his wife, not because she needs it or is incapable, but but for her to know she is so highly valued that someone will come to her defense in any moment. For men, it's sometimes hard to recognize that I need a rescuer and I need a savior. I am all sufficient. I can take care of myself. But we know that when we look at the war that began in heaven and spilled over into the earth and entered into the garden that was then given to all of us, that there is one Savior, there is only one rescuer, and the only answer is Jesus himself. And that answer, as much as I love, I would love for the story of the New Testament to have come out differently than it did. Instead of Jesus dying on the cross, wouldn't it have been great if he just kind of walked in and kind of like the Matrix and he was Neo and he just kind of snapped his finger and everything bad disappeared? Wouldn't that be awesome? He just walked in and this massive almighty God just walked in and his presence sent shockwaves into the darkness. I mean, that would feel good, wouldn't it? I would love that. And if someone made a movie like that, it would sell out. Because we love the idea of good overcoming evil. In fact, almost every good story you've ever heard has that theme in it. We love good over evil. But that is not how he rescued us. He didn't come in and set up a ring in the middle of the world that he invited Satan and he put Satan down in the first round. Even though Carmen has a pretty awesome song about that if you're from the 80s. That's not how it worked. We read in Isaiah 53 the prophecy of what we would read later in the New Testament did come true. In Isaiah 53, this is how our rescuer rescued us in this war that the world is dying in. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, talking about Jesus, grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that he should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he was born, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced by our, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's that self-glorification. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, I share the gospel in this way. Not for us to be fearful of what's going on in the world around us, but to recognize what the real stakes are for the people that don't know Christ. This is what's really happening in the world. When we talk about sharing the gospel, when we talk about sharing our testimonies, when we talk about what does it look like to follow Christ, it is entering into a war in which the world is losing. And we are trying to pull them out before Satan has his claws completely in them. And the way that that happened was not Jesus walking in, chest out, blowing everybody away. 
But it looked like him giving his life, flesh stripped from his body, nailed to a cross, pierced with a spear, so that you and I could be rescued. If you were in battle, and some of you have been, and you know exactly what this would feel like and look like, if you were in battle and the enemy was coming down upon you and you were done, you're out of ammunition and you're wounded. And someone comes alongside and takes that last bullet for you. How would we feel towards them? See, this is where I fear. This is what I fear for myself. This is what I fear with my kids. This is what I fear for our church. This is what I fear for the church at large, is how we portray the gospel. Because when we portray the gospel as agreement with a set of beliefs, when we portray the gospel as a set of practices or some way of modifying our behavior, when that's all the gospel becomes, then we ignore the true stakes of what's going on in the world. Because people are dying People are losing this battle. And what is so egregious is they don't even know that they're fighting. It's going on all around them. They're casualties of a war that they can't see. And at the moment that they realize what has happened, it will be too late. And that is why it is on us as the church to go through the world, to reveal the battle. And to show them that they have a rescuer. That is our message. Our message isn't about worship style. Our message isn't about which version of scripture you could read. You should read. Our message isn't about how we should dress or how casual we should be. It isn't about how we do communion. It isn't about what the name of the church is or their denomination or whatever. None of those things matter in the end. What matters are those who know Christ and those who don't. And those who do are called to devote their lives to telling those who don't. It's a difficult world. A person can live an entire life seeking after an all-satisfying joy only to be met with great sorrow. That is what I fear for many of us. We will be trapped and all the things the world tells us is important. And at the end of the day, we will look back and realize we missed the all-satisfying joy offered to us freely through Christ. I read an article this morning. The five greatest regrets that people have at the end of their life. Some of those regrets were they worked too hard did not spend enough time with their friends and their loved ones. They never tried for something great. And they allowed their lives to be lived for them instead of living them out passionately and driven. So those kinds of regrets should not be in the life of a follower of Jesus. The guys last night got together. We ate a lot of meat over at Kent's house. Some of us are regretting that this morning. We talked about a book by John Eldridge called Wild at Heart. We had a really great time talking together. And the overall theme that came out was the desire for adventure in life. One of the reasons that I follow Christ, and ultimately one of the reasons that I abandoned the life goals that I had in college to, be, to embark on a career in ministry was because I believe there was a greater adventure in following Jesus than there was in following any path of the world. And not every person is supposed to follow that adventure in the way that I did. But each step along the way has been a part of that adventure. Every decision we've made has been a part of that adventure. Now, along the way, we've made some bad decisions. Don't, don't get me wrong. We've made some decisions I wish I could go back and change. But overall, as we look back, God has been gracious to us that even when we rejected him or pushed him away, he brought us back into the adventure of following him. The path that we are on now with fostering. I never wanted to be a foster parent. And some of you, I believe God's going to be calling you to be a foster parent. And right now you have no desire to do that. But a part of this adventure 
was to t- pull and tug our hearts and to be able to see that there's a need and there are people that are falling in the system. There are people that are being overcome by this world that we can help. We can't do everything. There are a lot of things I'm not qualified to do. There are a lot of things that people that are a lot smarter than me will make a bigger impact in the world than I will. But I can help in this. And it is an incredible adventure. Some of you have, you have followed God into some incredible places and some incredible adventures yourself through the process of adoption, through the process of missions. Some of you have given of yourselves greatly. All of you have a calling from God to go on an adventure with Him. That is the call to Christ. And if we ever come to the place where we're simply about our beliefs and our little worship services that we get together, I don't want to diminish what happens here on a Sunday morning because there are many Sunday mornings here that, for me, they, they, just, they don't just recharge my soul. They open up God in a different way to me. I don't want to diminish what happens in a worship service. But if that's all that we do is when we come together for this, And that's all the adventure is. We will miss out on what God is doing around us. Our central message is that there is a rescuer and that God's all-satisfying joy is available to each of us through Jesus Christ. Matthew 7, 13 and 14 talks about these stakes. And it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. This is what Scripture says about this choice. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Folks, the stakes are unbelievably high in the world. This is why the gospel has to be at the central message of everything we do, whether it be with Kidmo, whether it be with chaos management, whether it be with students, whether it be in our worship services, whether it be in our missions efforts. No matter what it is, the gospel has to be at the central message of everything that we do or we ignore the war that is destroying the world. Because the gospel is the message of victory for those who receive it. Before we take communion this morning, I want to take one more moment of prayer. Now we want to read one more more passage of Scripture that's very familiar to you. But as we've already prayed for repentance, let's take this moment just for a, a couple of minutes as a prayer of thankfulness for what God has done for us, being our rescuer. A moment of recognizing each day of your life, how God has been active and He has brought you to Him. Let's take these couple of minutes just to quietly not only connect with Him, pray as if He is right in front of you listening to your your every word. And let's pray for in thankfulness for God's provision for us as a rescuer. Would you pray? Know that your prayers of thanksgiving, your your prayers of praise to Him, that is giving Him the glory, taking it from ourselves and giving it to Him. Removing the desire for self-glorification and placing it firmly on the one who deserves it. Give your praise and your glory to Him.
Father, we give you the glory. We give you all of the honor. We give you our praise because you are our rescuer in a war that we were blind to for so long. Father, we thank you that your love is so overwhelming that we didn't have to do something to earn it, but you loved us completely and you gave your son for us. We thank you for that rescue. Let us follow you wherever you would take us and let us share with the rest of the world what they are missing so that they won't be casualties of this invisible war while we're so consumed with the ones that are happening between people on this world right now. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your holiness because you are worthy to be praised. Let us submit ourselves before you and on those days that you feel distant, let us come to you even more passionately as the sustainer of our faith. Help us in the moments that we lack belief to believe you. In those moments when we are wrapped up in the things of this world to remember that they are fleeting and they are going to disappear and one day it will just be us and you. Let us remember the deposit that you've given us through the Holy Spirit that will empower us to go out and share this good news for the rest of the world and help us to follow you faithfully. In Jesus' name. Perhaps the most quoted and most well-known passage of Scripture comes in John chapter 3. Verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. In just a moment, we're going to sing a couple of more songs in worship. And then we're going to come up and we're going to take communion. I want you to know that God's all-satisfying joy is available to each of us through Jesus Christ. If you are here today, you have never experienced that. I want to invite you that you can pray and you can invite Him into your life. If you know the truth and you recognize the war, And you see Jesus as your only rescuer. You can begin a life right now of walking with Him. It's so easy to think of the kingdom of God as that which will come one day. But the kingdom of God is here now. Jesus said, it's here right in front of you. You can walk with Him today. Heaven is not something that we just experience when we die. We experience pieces of it right now as we live with Him through the Holy Spirit. So I want you to know that you can experience God's all-satisfying joy through Jesus Christ. You can receive forgiveness for your sins. You can receive compassion and love and grace for Him. And I want you to know when you begin to experience this satisfying joy from Him, the things that cause us to be depressed in this world begin to go away. Life not working out the way you hoped no longer has the power over you because your joy comes from somewhere else. The fact that my job is not what I want or my career is not leading me where I wanted to go, all satisfying joy overcomes disappointment in your work. Perhaps life hasn't worked out in your family the way you had hoped. And you were hoping that someone would just love you unconditionally. And you still not experienced that. And you're still looking from person to person to person. Who can love me so I will feel loved? But God's all-satisfying joy comes to those even when their family doesn't look the way that they hope it would. If you were sitting here today thinking, this is not the life I hoped for. God's all-satisfying joy can overcome that life. Because you will recognize that this is such a small piece of what is to come. May we together 
Seek the light and spread the light to those who are perishing in this world. Let that be our message. When we invite someone on Sunday morning, that is our purpose. When we sing songs and prepare worship, that is the purpose. When we take communion, when we go to Bible study or small groups, when we teach kids who Jesus is, the whole underlying message is the same. The world is perishing, but there is a rescuer in Jesus. To finish out our story of from Revelation back to Genesis and then back to Revelation, Jesus is coming back and he's going to end this war. It's not a war that will go on forever. He will return and it will be over. And those who went by the narrow gate will spend an eternity with him. Let us say today as we take communion, thanks be to God for his excellent gift. Pray with me. Father, God, as we take communion, I pray that we would recognize the goodness of your grace and your love. That in spite of our frailties, in spite of our failings, you have given us an opportunity to be rescued and to live a passionate adventure with you. I pray for those in this room right now that are struggling to understand where is our life supposed to go? What is our life supposed to mean? Lord, let them experience your all-satisfying joy in Christ. When we become overwhelmed with the things that we have to deal with, all the decisions we have to make with the burden of our jobs, the burden of maintaining all that we have, I pray that you would open our eyes to the bigger picture and let us see the beauty of community. Let us see the beauty of the church. Let us see the beauty of the gospel. And let us see every opportunity that we can to share that gospel with others. Let us be a light in this darkness. So as we receive your body that was broken for us, as we receive your blood that was spilled for us, let us remember you are our rescuer. In Jesus' name we pray. Here's what we're going to do. Some of you have kids in Kidmo. If you would like for them to take part, you are welcome to go get them and bring them back in. We're not bringing all the Kidmo kids back in because it would be kind of mass chaos. But if you would like to go get a child, you're welcome to bring them back in. We have two stations set up. And if this is your first time to take communion with us, the process is simple. We have some hand sanitizer for the time of year, season it is. Just take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and then you can go back to your seats. We have two songs that we're going to close with. So come whenever you are ready. Let this be a movement, a movement of worship for us to give glory to him.